CJ wants it again. Look Got it that. again. I mean, he is a man on fire. Beat him. Ronnie Price. Look at Ronnie Price. There's a hustle right in front of the jazz bench. Watson inside. Oh! That's right. Y'all see him. Wow. He is the man, Duncan, right now. We welcome in a man that I would say it's mass exciting to have him on the podcast. <laughs> this 17-year NBA vet has played for seven teams in his career. Uh, retired or before I are we retired or are we still going? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm good. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> like I ha I haven't said the actual word out loud, but he's still putting in work in the gym. It's what that means yeah, i still love it like i mean but at the same time i really don't know if i'm going back honestly that's a good question i mean i you know what i like that you don't fully commit to it yet yeah. so if any team comes calling but um but i you think know this they, man they hang the shoes up for you you don't get to hang them up it's done for you so, <laughs> so yeah. you'll know you'll know when it's time uh, but y'all know this man jumped from high school to the big time he'll drop 30 on your head heck even 40 if you're the minnesota timberwolves the man that's smooth on the mic as he was on the court, it is CJ Miles in the house tonight. What's up, man? Hey, man. Hey, it's great to be here, man. Thank y'all for having me. Thank y'all for reaching out. Um, thank you for the introduction. <laughs> hey, of course, man. I remember watching you play, uh, played for a lot of teams, killed, we're big Wizards fans, so you played for a little bit with us, but also killed yeah. us, tore our hearts out for a little bit. Uh, I'm still mad about my stand in West Washington. I wish it would have went different. I really liked it there. Um, just injuries at the uh, coming back and getting injured. Are you fully healthy now? Like, are like if yeah. it called you tomorrow, you'd be like, no aches and pains. Let's go. I got no aches and pains, but that's because I'm not playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're being honest about it, you know, like, nah, like in, in all honesty, um, you know, uh, there are opportunities I could have, you know, went to camp or did things like that. I just, I, I, I do think it's time, you know. I'm enjoying being with my family, taking my kids to school, picking them up. I'm enjoying being with my wife. Um, you know, I'm enjoying the things that are coming after basketball. So 17 years is a long time to do anything. Hey, that, I mean, day, that day you dropped that 40 ball, I noticed it was two days after your birthday. Yeah. Was there any correlation there? Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but I, that's the best thing about that to me is the timing that it happened. Like my girlfriend, who is now my wife now, was came up for my birthday. My, my best uh, friends were there. I had family. I had a I had a party, a great party. Like DJ Green Leonard DJ my party in in Salt Lake City. Like it was like a crazy. Like it was just a good group of days. It was a good time. Oh man, I wish I was there. That sounds dope. Uh, but CJ man, we we like to mix in some of your career, some of the other endeavors you've been doing. But it's interesting with you specifically because. You were in the last kind of crop of being of kids being able to come out from high school to the NBA because yeah. that rule changed. And I got to ask you, I mean, you're coming from Skyline High School, Dallas, Texas, Parade All-American, McDonald's High School All-American, your consensus ranked top 20 player in the country. At what point when you were playing in high school did you think that jump to the NBA seemed like a real possibility for you? I did not know anything about it until after my senior season was over. Okay. So my dad and my high school coach kept it from me the whole time. They did not tell me a word about it. Mm. Scouts coming to games, people asking for film, nothing. And I appreciate it as an adult, you know, 
they allowed me to just be a kid, play my senior year, and without any type of pressure added to it, because nothing was going to change. Like, me knowing or not knowing, really, they were going to come. I could have made it worse, honestly, with me knowing. <laughs> me not knowing was probably better anyway. But uh, I got the, you know, the rule was you can go in the draft without an agent and still go to school. All yeah. those teams were calling. So it made it, it made no sense for me not to go do the interviews and the workouts. Yeah. Go ahead, James. I, yeah, of note. So I'm, I'm looking at that draft. Like, I was in high school, so I was super into it at that moment. And then 04, I just want to run down some names because these were the last people that were drafted out of high school. It's Dwight Howard, Sean Livingston, Robert Swift, Sebastian Telfair, Al Jefferson, Josh Smith, J.R. Smith, Darrell Wright, then your draft, Martel Webster, Andrew Bynum, Gerald Green, you, Monte Ellis, Lou Williams, Andre Blatch, Amir Johnson. I mean, all of them outside of, I think, one of those players played at least seven to ten years. <laughs> yeah. Just longevity. Um, and I think it, it, it proved wrong that, hey, a high school kid can make that decision for himself, go pro, and then still have a grow up in the NBA have a longevity career and become good vets at the end of the day. Like what I want to uh, what's your stance on, you know, kids being able to make that decision and is there a family with y'all high school kid, guys cuz I listen to knuckleheads and it seems like the high school uh players that that went pro they they seem like they have like a certain family. Yeah. Oh, uh, so speaking on the family part, I grew up my dad's a minister I grew up in a in a church home, like a strict home, like, you know, talking about like dad that threw my CDs out my car window when he got in and heard the type of music I was listening to, like that type, <laughs> that type thing. Um, but as far as just the, the stance on it, I think I understand why it was done because there's a lot of guys that, you know, that we don't name, that don't, fan, that don't pan out, that don't get more than a year that maybe going two years in college turns him into a 10 year pro an all-star, maybe go lottery, things like that. But I think if a guy has a chance and there's a guy that that's the best route for him, taking it away from him, it, it's kind of hard. Like you can't really tell people what to not do or do, but you also miss him with a, with a, with a legacy, like a story of a guy who gets to the NBA, say he, he can't go, goes to school and the route just goes bad. Something happens with the coach, injuries, this, that, and the third. Obviously, we don't know if that's going to happen in the NBA too, but I, you, it's just hard to put your fingers on it, right? Yeah, there's no – I don't think there's a perfect answer. I just – you being a success story and then everybody else that was there those last two years, it's just I, – I feel like it could be up to the kid to make the decision. Of course, there's going to be um, good and bad stories out of it. And then there's so many avenues these days where – Kids mm -hmm. actually are making a little money and they're mm -hmm. they're working on their yeah. game and they're really proving themselves. As you've seen firsthand. Yeah, that's a good thing too, is that them being able to make money now kind of takes that that dynamic out where guys just do it because they need it. They just yeah. in a bad situation, something's going on. Like there's so many stories. Guys got family members sick and they can help them if they go right now and it doesn't pan out, but they got the they spend that whole first check just on the family and now no job, no school experience, you know what I mean? Nothing like that. Um, that that hurts. But now having that situation where they can make money in college and in high school, even high school, it's 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 definitely a blessing for them. Now I gotta ask you, CJ. So talking about like the money and stuff. So you 
committed to the University of Texas at Austin. You said that you would attend there if you didn't get selected in the first round. You ended up going in the second round, but the Jazz gave you a two-year guaranteed contract, mm. which is rare for second-round picks, especially at 18 years of age. You became the youngest player in Jazz history. Was it once they told you they would give you that guaranteed money that made the decision for you to forego college, or was it other things that, uh, you know, whether it was just being with the Jazz or other things out there that made you want to make that jump? It wasn't even the money. It was the time. <clears throat> it was the guaranteed time. Like, mm -hmm. yes, that's guaranteed money, but guaranteed me two years. Well, mm -hmm. I, I could be there and I could work. I never doubted my work ethic or what I knew what I was setting out to do. I knew what I wanted. So I just wanted to make sure I was given a fair shot at it, that I was given the time, knowing that the first year I probably wasn't going to get to play much, going to a coach that has verbally said he does not like young players. <laughs> and I then you draft the youngest person in draft in the uh, organization's history to come. So I knew I had an uphill battle, battle with that. Um, but other than that, I wasn't ever worried about it. If we being honest, like I never was worried about it my whole life. I, when I said I was going to play in the NBA, that was okay. We're just going to move in the ways that allow me to do that. Yeah. It's crazy. You bring that up. Like Sloan had a, I don't remember the quote hundred percent top of my head, but I know it was something like, you don't want them to wear diapers or like a jock strap or something I like know the, that. I know the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I know the quote. A quote like that, like mm -hmm. that's crazy. But I've heard you talk about uh, Jerry Sloan before, rest in peace. And you've told him, or you've talked about like he's a fiery coach. He's a, but he's a great coach. He he knows how to motivate players. He he's for that time period, like he seemed like he really knew how to get the best out of you guys. Uh, and it sounds like you guys were able to really still have a, a good rapport with each other, even after kind of a rough early beginning, it sounds like. So the funny thing is, is that's not even rough. It was to when people asked me about that, yeah. I was like, you know, I've heard so much worse things than, than that <laughs> from that man already to my face. So like that doesn't bother me. But the biggest thing about him is that he was fair. He was honest. He 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 he, he was true to his word. You work. You prove that you're supposed to play. I'm going to find a way to get you to play. And what you do with that is on you. Um, but I always knew that everything he said to me was out of making me better, out of mm -hmm. love, out of pushing me. So I never took it personal. I took it as like he wanted more from me, which is why my career was able to last and why I had good years under him. Yeah, going in 18, I mean, that's you're still, you're still, you know, young, immature. You're growing up. So I'm sure he helped shape the man who you are today with all the time you spent. 100%. Like, um, people don't. So there's another story that I, I never told before that, that solidified me knowing where he stood with me as far as, like I said, his honesty and him being fair. We were in Houston, and um, my parents drove down to the game. It was one of the first times they were going to get to, you know, see me play. I had been playing a little bit. but hadn't, you know, I was still young, not playing a lot. And he gave my parents his tickets so they could sit closer. So, cause I didn't, I didn't have the bread to be buying uh, first bros tickets and spending, they didn't want me spending money on that. So he gave me the coaches tickets that were like right behind the bench. And then there's a point in the game where him and Phil get in the argument about who's going in the game and the sub. And I hear coach Sloan say he deserves the play. I don't know who they talking about. I just hear that part. He says it real loud, turns around, points at me and puts me in the game, calls the first three plays that I'm in the game for me. Wow. Like, did that for me on the spot, on the road, in Houston. Close game, all that. That's uh, – you and know what's interesting? 
From that That's day, he could have said, any, said anything to me after that day. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I feel like people have this opinion of Jerry Sloan that just like very hard nosed and, and like has his favorites. He had like the Stockton Malone, of course, and then like the boozer Darren Williams. And I feel like people have this kind of negative image of him. But I think that's such a, a good story yeah. to hear how just how great of a person, how great of a coach. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome, man. He was great to me, man. Like, I'm getting emotional thinking about it again now. Like, I cried <laughs> on the interview. I did a phone interview when I found that he passed away. Cried on the interview. Like, he was so much to me. There was so many days he called me in that office and we sat and talked. And so many days he was, like, literally worried about my being, my well-being, because I was a kid. And I had been the best basketball player my whole life. And all of a sudden, you're not good enough. Like, that's hard. And he mm -hmm. recognized that. And he, he always checked in on me. He didn't curse me out when I was sitting in the office with him. <laughs> You only cursed me out when I was on the court. <laughs> I love it, man. I, I got to ask you, though, like playing for him, playing for that Jazz team, like you guys had Ronnie Brewer. You guys obviously had Darren Williams, yeah. Carlos Boozer, the legend Memento Kerr. Like I love that Jazz team. Yeah. Uh, what was it like playing? Like not obviously we talked about uh, Jerry Sloan, but just that whole team in general. It was great, man. Those guys, like we were, we were brothers, man. We had such a good time. Like it's such a good time just of my life in general, like even besides basketball. But I think we were a little bit ahead of where the game was. Like it's a modern we, team. You had yeah, we all, the, all the we wings. Exactly. And we could have been different if the game was played. Like I didn't shoot, we didn't shoot threes. <laughs> like we didn't shoot threes yeah. like that. Like we had Mimino Core, Cal Corver comes and plays yeah. on our team. And they're still screaming at Cal Corver to run through under the basket on the baseline on fast breaks where he can sprint to the corner and get open threes from Darren. They're like, no, cross under the – they still wanted the old school. We were still doing that. We had to fight to get black shoes on the road. Like, we didn't even, like black shoes and black socks, that's how old school it was. Like, it was oh, my just, God. It's crazy with analytics today and the number – I know you were shooting like four, five, six a game, and then that number went up to nine, ten, twelve, three. You're shooting uh, more threes than, than twos, yeah. but they're worth more. And then analytics say that's the better – shot especially with the snipers you had like west matthews kyle corver you mentioned mm -hmm. you know a core for i mean I, it, it'd be a, amazing to see you guys play in this modern yeah. nba because i think it would have boded well uh all around but, for because all the the biggest thing about that system was it was all it was ucla so it was all backdoor cuts uh flex cuts um 15 foot jumpers everything was at the rim or everything was mid-range it was the opposite of the game right now and we had so many guys with that capability that could spread the floor. We had three or four on a team, which was absurd at that time because it was like one shooter on a team at that time. And the point guards made open shots and things like that. But it wasn't that many designated shooters like now. And we didn't even cultivate that part of our games because it wasn't part of it. So think about where we could have been if we'd even just been given the freedom to even explore it. I would have loved to see that. One of the things, though, with you that was interesting was you were still shooting threes, but your three-point percentage shot up like a rocket once you got out of Utah and you went to Cleveland. Just for example, in Utah, your last two years, 32% and then 30%. And then you get to Cleveland, it goes up to 38%, 39% the next two years, and it even gets up to 41% your last year in Indiana. Is it just because you shot more threes to where you felt like you were more confident with them? Or did you do something in your prep to be able to just consistently make more threes? Mike Brown. I got to Cleveland and Mike Brown said, 
told me to my face, you shoot the ball too well to not work more on that part of your game. Because I was just known as straight streaky at that time. I could score. I would get high and I can make any type of shot, but I wasn't a shooter. It just depended on if I was going at that time. That's just what I was. I was still young, still bouncy. So, like, I was just kind of – I've been playing in a system, so I hadn't really, you know, got a real identity. I just played hard and was – knew how to make the reads out of a system I had played in for seven years. I got there my second year in Cleveland. He came in after I had Byron Scott the first year, and he said that to me, and I it just kind of clicked for me. And I went to working on it. I was playing with Kyrie, so it made me – it gave me opportunity for more minutes because only time I was getting the ball from him was on a kickout or in the clock. <laughs> so um, that was the thing. That's what changed it, and that's what got me to Indiana. Yeah, and then in Indiana, you completely just – like balled out at that point. Like you had your career high in points per game, 13 and a half points per game, still shot over 80% from the free throw line for three straight seasons. And again, averaging at that point to 26 minutes a game, like you had to feel like coming in as a second round pick, kind of working your way up in Utah to where you were getting more minutes. And then you're, you're a legit scorer. You're a legit shooter. People like teams are actively trying to pursue you and you're just making your mark in the league at this point. Yeah. I, I tell it's like, I had three careers. <laughs> my, my my first in in Utah and then the middle section and then the the bench dad in Toronto like it was like it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy how it happened it happened so fast though but that middle time I just got caught up in the small ball trying to figure it out I was playing too much power forward when everybody hadn't went small yet so I yeah. was guarding Dirk Nowitzki Kevin Garnett Derek Favors Louis Scola <laughs> Zach Randolph like these guys are coming in the building and I'm the one that's taking these hits in the chest. Like, <laughs> um, And I hey, couldn't, I, we hadn't figured out how to play offense to utilize me against them yet. I was just spacing. I think that's it's funny you say, but that's an evolution of a basketball player. You have to change as your game grows, whether you, you know, you're adding things on it. Cause I remember um, Utah days and are you always used to, thump it at the rim like i don't know it was if it was the, the left clip. hand yeah. the left hand but it just sounded it just sounded harder than a regular than a regular <laughs> dump and then when you you talk about the cleveland and in the indiana annapolis days your your step back like all of a sudden you're 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 doing stuff off the dribble and you're making really difficult shots and i know if you make one of them the next time you're coming down it's probably going to go up which was good for your team because you knew that you did have those streaky moments but then mm-hmm. it it was instead of two and four points. Now we're talking about three and six, nine. So yeah, I took I took pride in especially in Cleveland coming off the bench. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of reinvent myself. Also, I wanted to show that I had those things still because I hadn't really done them since I was in high school. It was like, it was like sparingly in Utah when people were hurt and I had more time with the ball and things like that. But I really wanted to in that opportunity. Like I was doing. 11, 12 points a game a night. I was playing 19 minutes a game that season. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I'm I'm producing. Like I'm coming off of that thing and I'm like, let's they throw it to me and I'm going. And it kind of, I kind of took on an identity from that. Yeah, your first 36 is always 18, yeah. 19, that entire career. Even that, <laughs> the first year in Utah, you 15 for, for 36. So Did you enjoy coming off the bench more and bringing that energy or would you prefer to start? Oh. It's, it's, I don't know. Um, I, I enjoyed off the bench more because the opportunities I got to get myself in the game were different. Mm-hmm. I got to be more aggressive. I wasn't always on the floor with the star. 
So then I created myself a rhythm. And when the star came back, I could go back to playing off the ball and be fine. Cause I've, I got a feel for the game and I got myself going and I make the game better for him now, because now I even bring more spaces. Guys are guarding me different. Like I'm getting the, the, the best defender some nights I'm getting or the second best defender or the game plan is rotated towards the way people set screens for me. I changed the game that way. And that was, that was, that was what I wanted. Like I wanted that recognition. I wanted to be a player in the league. It was it harder to like when you come off the bench and you have guys that already are in the game and you're trying to get your feet under you to start. Is that do you find that difficult? Was it like, hey, I'm coming in cold. These guys have been on the floor five or six minutes or whatever it is. No. So I started to play tricks with myself. Like I just started to like make myself feel like I was ahead because I would sit on a bench and pick apart what they were doing. So mm. I would come in the game and go right at the weak spot that I already saw. So I'm two steps faster because I know exactly what I'm about to do anyway, because I know the way you're guarding the pick and rolls, or I know the way you're not rotating on the backside, whatever it is. So I'm all, I, that was the way I kept myself involved in it. I like that, man. So you're, I mean, you're pretty much a student of the game. As much as you love playing and being out there, you're just a basketball head. Like you love yeah. just being able to pick apart things, whether you're on the court or just analyzing things. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm what they call a purist. I'm one of those guys that just love it any type of way. Like I can find something good out of it in any place, any gym. I, I like that. So <laughs> you, let me ask you a question. So this is kind of off. With, James and I were talking about what we'd ask you before the show. This is something James doesn't know about to ask. So on this show, we have a couple <laughs> bold claims. I would like to hear your thoughts on them. Okay. So one of our guys, Brad, who couldn't make the show tonight, he says Andre Drummond's the best rebounder of all time. Because if his per 48 minutes rebounds, they're astronomical. Do you agree? Of all time? Of all time. Like you look at the per 48 minutes, it's, so, it's insane. I'm not trying to take away from Andre Drummond. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to laugh either because it's not about to downplay it. But yeah. we got to no, look no, at it's comical. We got to look at the pace of Andre Drummond's game that he played. How many more shots are taken, and how many, how much, how fast, how much faster the game is? Yeah, Second true. of all, I saw Dwight Howard in Orlando. I saw yeah, Superman Dwight Howard. I saw that. I saw who else did I see that was crazy? Um, ben Wallace obviously was. I saw Ben Wallace in D- in Detroit. I saw that he's doing it at my size. He's like six 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 seven. <laughs> yeah, and um, Rodman. What Rodman did was just. So, so his ability to react and grab. we ain't even get there. I think you, I think you almost got as far as the way he rebounded. I think you got to give it to Rodman. He rebounded outside of his space, yeah. every type of rebound, dove in the stands, <laughs> did every single thing, offensive and defensively. No offense to Johnny Drummond, he's definitely in the top of whatever number of tops you want to put it in. But I don't know if I can give him the greatest of all time. What about this one? This one is, I think. I think Anthony Edwards is the best dunker of all time. Now, all time? All now look, look. How many dunks does he have? But look, look. You see, like, obviously, Vince Carter <laughs> in the dunk. <laughs> you see, like, Vince Carter in the dunk. I know, I know, right? But Anthony Edwards, how high he gets up and the dunks that he's doing on people in the games, I've never seen a player like that. So like, he has at least never, two or three dunks. you never I've seen legit, the Dominique Wilkins highlight? I have, but, like... <laughs> He's not doing what Anthony Edwards legit like his chest is like at the rim. It feels like, nah. and he's literally throwing guys down. Like he's not. I've never seen anybody dunk like him. He's not the best dunker in the league right now. Who's no. the best dunker in the league right now? I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's him. <laughs> That's and I, I think he's up there. I, I'm with you on the, what he's doing, 
But yeah. of all time, Vince Carter is definitely the best dunk of all time. Um, that dunk he had on the Bulls, man. I, but I we think got, I watched that like 500 times. <laughs> I mean, just, no one. So if we're speaking in-game, it changes the conversation a little bit. Okay, let's say okay, in-game dunker. In-game he's dunker. high on in-game dunk. There's, he's done some dunks that I've never that I've that like you said that are, but LeBron's got some in-game dunks that are insane. They do. He does. He does. Um, yeah, his Zach, body Zach count Levine's is so high. Some. Yeah, the, I was gonna say the former Minnesota player is a better yeah. dunker in today's league. Yeah, um, he's still bouncing around. But else, Vince yeah. Carter, even though he was a showman dunker, he put everybody on the poster. Yeah, he put that's true. So chest. Throw it yeah. on his head. His, his in-game dunks are crazy. So he's got dunk contests, in-game dunks. Like, yes, it's Tens. pretty wild. And <laughs> Dominique I... Wilkins and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. <laughs> oh. It's a good list, yeah. He's, got, right. a long, Tracy, he's got a long Tracy, way to go Tracy McGrady. before we, we, we put him in any Tracy McGrady, Kevin Durant. Um, we, just, we can go. We can. We can. And then there's some people that we're not even gonna think of, and we'll look at some highlights. But oh yeah, that was Desmond Mason. Um, Desmond Mason, like, you Fred know what Jones. I mean? we just, exactly. We can start naming guys like that who was straight. Shoot, Gerald dunker. Green. Gerald Shout Green. Your, uh, 2005. He's, <laughs> he's definitely not a better dunker than Joe Green. Gerald Green is a good dunker. I don't know, man. I, Anthony Edwards is a different type of man. I don't know. You're uh, right. I'm not. But <laughs> the best dunker of all time is crazy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna stick to that. This one might not be as crazy because I've heard other people talk about it. Let's be the last one. Is Kyrie Irving the, the most skilled player of all time? The way the shots that he hits is I've never seen that either. I'm not mad at this argument, and I and you can, I I could be on either side on either day. One day, I I think I honestly think him and Kevin Durant are like top ever talented people, skillful players. I think if Kyrie was two inches taller, he's the best player in the world. Agreed. I say yeah, this he, all the time. He's the best finisher, under under rim finisher of all time. Um, nobody creates shots like him. Nope. Nobody. And, and he plays big. He posts the same. He'll post up a guy that's three inches taller than him and shoot fadeaways like he's Kobe. He, that's who he is. He's like the mirror. He's like the evolution of it. He's all Kobe stuff. And, like, he's just got a little bit – he's got a different uh, twitch than Kobe had. Mm-hmm. He changes speeds well. He's got – his handles, obviously – might be the greatest handle of all time too. Like so, it's there's like there's certain players, and obviously if you're in the NBA, you're like insanely, insanely good. But there are only a certain few players that when you see them with the basketball, that you're like, there is no way in a hundred years yeah. I would be able to do half of what they're doing in terms of just the way they're able to move the ball, the shots that they're making, the finish, like the way they put the ball, like the angles they they uh off the glass, like. I literally watch him like I remember the the most recent time watching him where like I had that moment was when he had that 60 on Orlando was it a year ago two years ago mm-hmm. and just how literally he could just do whatever he wanted you put two or three people on him he could still doesn't matter yeah there's some guys that just, you feel like they just meant to play basketball right like yeah it's like the Steph Curry thing we talk about like if he gave you everything he did in his workout and you did everything he'd done you you probably still wouldn't be able to shoot the ball like him it's something he possesses that allows him to just elevate that that talent and skill level to another thing, partly because he grew up around the NBA and his dad was one of the best shooters of all time too. Probably doesn't make it <laughs> hard to, 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 to imagine, but like Kyrie, I know he's one of those guys who just imagines about basketball scenarios. Well, and, and Rod Strickland being godfather helps a lot. <laughs> exactly. And you can see some Rod Strickland in his game. Like you can see yeah. some of it. 
Rosh Stuckley, one of the coldest people no one ever talks about when it's talk about the wow yeah. factor and pure yeah. entertainment, watching him. Nick people, Van Exel, too. on the skates, his finishing ability to run a rim. I love Nick Van Exel. This is, I love talking like that type, that type period with someone that's you, Wait, you love a, a skilled lefty hooper? Is <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> wait, hold on. Is he your favorite lefty? I wanted to throw that in as, at one point. Because, of course, you got you to love the lefties. Him. I love Tony Kukoc. Um, he. I love uh, who is who is who else? L O, the goods. Yeah, mm. man. You know, I I used to really love. Uh, this is like I don't know if he's on everybody's. I used to love Troy Murphy. I love Troy Murphy, man. Golden State and in Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Oh man, like he used to reverse. He used to reverse dunk. Like he's it was such ease all the time. That was one of my favorite things about him. He catch like a pass in the dunker and just reverse dunk it. Like he was. He was one of my favorites. Um, that was a sneaky call right there. Oh, Sorry. this is nostalgia I right thought now, about him. Frick. Uh, I love cool. talking about uh, Back to you, though. I don't want to talk about I mean, we can talk yeah, basketball. Yeah, yeah. I can talk uh, basketball all night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, Jay, you were trying to talk, talk about uh, the uh, Western Conference semis. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I know we've actually brought up Bean a couple times already. But so, and rest in peace to him. Um, just a living legend. But I – I would be ashamed if I didn't ask you about it. I mean, you you're going heads up with him multiple times in the playoffs, in the Western Conference semis. Um, in 2010, I I think that was the best version of him because he just elevated to this all around great leader as well. Um, and and you you know you gave him some 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 business too. Uh, West Matthews, you get you you were out there every night that. That game three, it looked like, and it looked on your face, it looked like you definitely thought West tipped that ball in, and that who knows that changes the series. Yeah. Um, everybody wants to know, like, through the lines, right? What is what, what is he doing? What is what makes you chuckle when you think about Kobe playing him in between the lines? The little things that he did, because you're a student yeah. of the game, right? So you probably yeah. noticed some of his little extra things. He just had something for everything. So and he had he had done it so much that it wasn't even a thought. It's like the the Bruce Lee quote, like um, when he says like his goal is to not have any technique, or it's just to be like expressing <laughs> like water, like just flowing, right? So that's what it felt like. It felt like he just had something for everything. So like when I thought I had him bottled up on the baseline, sending him to his left, he had a reverse pivot to a pump fake, pivoting back to a fadeaway, going out of bounds, and he shot. <laughs> and they should talk about him shooting the craziest shots after practice, like 70 at a time. Like the shots that we thought that he was just making, he was practicing those shots. Like left-hand threes? Yeah, he was doing stuff <laughs> like that. Like, so we always, I used to joke, like I'd always felt like he missed because he missed, not because of something I did. Like, <laughs> it was like he was going to fix it the next time down. I got a story about him actually, not in the playoffs. I'm guarding him in LA on the road, right? And I'm just having a good night this night. I'm getting my hand on the ball a little bit. I got him, like, just kind of out of his rhythm a little bit. It's just one of those days. And he's trying to just find it. I'm getting, like, tips on his pickup so he can't get clean shots. And I'm just – I got a charge. I'm just, you know, having a good half. First half comes. They take him out because he's got two fouls at the end of the first half. I'm still in the game standing beside him. He looks at me and he says, I got something for that, CJ. That's what he says to me in my face, right? Looks at me. He walks he's, – and he's looking at me as he walks off like, yeah, I, like, I got you. And we go into the locker room and I sit down, I put a towel in my head. I'm like, this man <laughs> is about to shoot the ball 40 times in 20 minutes. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Special appearance. Okay, can you go? This is Nadia, by the way. Can you go hey, ask Nadia. Nadia? Can you go ask mommy? 
Hi. <laughs> Nadia. Can you go ask mommy or Uncle Cam? Thank you. Like yeah, take it. Oh, Sorry. What a blessing. <laughs> there you go. Love that. But yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, that was a, that was a night. Oh, but yeah. So what he did he do when he got back on the second half? It wasn't it wasn't crazy, but he he, he was Kobe still. Like he didn't it didn't happen. Nothing happened. We ended up winning the game, and I remember guys like some of the homies there, like Paul Millsap's brothers that lived in Utah. We were all close, and they had came out there. Some other people that came to the game, they were like commenting on like me having a good defensive night, and I was like, "Yo, let's not talk about this too loud." <laughs> like I do not want because yeah, you know there's no telling like Kobe. I seen him celebrating in the. And now the next time I see him, he give me 75 or he hit me with yeah. the Jalen Rose treatment. <laughs> and yeah. We all knew, know about that. 80. <laughs> Man, I, I, everybody will remember where and what they were doing when that happened. Like that was yeah. completely historic. I never um, sobbed like that for like an act, like this, a celebrity, you yeah. know, a role model. It's just, just my whole upbringing. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's CJ- everybody out. CJ, so when you're in Toronto, mm-hmm. you play two, a 2018 playoffs. You beat our Wizards in six games. And That's a good series. Not for us, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you guys lose to the Cavs. Obviously, that was the year uh, the Cavs, mm-hmm. they look just like, just can't stop them at that point. Uh, what was that playoff series like for you? I, I know for a fact the Toronto Raptors arena in the playoffs, there's no arena touching that. Like you see the outside, it was at the Jurassic Park. Like it is absolutely bonkers. Like, what is the playoff atmosphere like in Toronto? It's a whole country behind a team. Like, that's just the way it's yeah. the best way I can put it. Literally, a whole a huge country. <laughs> Not even like, you know, behind that whole team, and they all up there and they support and they they in it. Um, even the DJ, the way he played the type of music he plays keeps it. <laughs> elevated like my before i was there my wife used to come on that road trip because because she loved to come to that arena it's kind of like we like spoken into existence almost um but it's just great there man the fans they they really love basketball and they love that team and they love those guys off the floor too like they it's a personable level up there because there's so many people that are invested in just the well-being of that team and it's great to be a part of that was that your favorite stop of all the places you were it's between there and indiana I, I kind of like Utah is the starting place, and it, it, I did so like I grew up there. Like I kind of consider that home, so I don't really count it. But like Indiana and and Toronto, like Indiana felt like home because I had family there. Mm-hmm. My wife's side of the family was there, so you don't really ever get that. You don't really get like a yeah. base, a real base feeling somewhere. And I got that in Indiana, and I think that's also part of the reason why I play so well. That makes sense. Uh, I am curious, like at all these places that you played. Did you have like a favorite jersey that you play? Like, was it like the Jazz light blue? Was it the the Raptors red? Did you have like when you're like when you wore that jersey, you were like, I'm going off tonight. The Jazz light blue and the Flojo jersey in Indiana. What was the Flojo jersey? The navy blue, the navy blue one with the with the oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I like that one. It was to the point where everybody played good in them. We were like uh, changing the jersey we were gonna wear because we were going on streaks in them. And we get mad when we, when, when we didn't wear them. We were making a playoff push. And we were like, yo, you got to put that one out as much as you can. Like, <laughs> oh, how man, much I do like... the players have a hand in that towards the end of the season? Um, Not not as much as 
not not that much. We say it, and they, and they, they work with us a little bit, but it's hard because especially if you're at home and other teams been traveling and they coming in, you can't they can't go get <laughs> the other jersey like we had an AAU tournament and changing the car. Oh man, uh, DJ, I want to ask you a couple more questions, but I, I want to be respectful of your time before we get out of here. I'm good, um, man. If you got whatever you got, we good. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Um, can you talk to us about your podcast, Strictly Hoops? I know it's it's been semi new, but y'all already like taking it by storm. Y'all are a, a big hit out there. So, can you tell our audience and everybody else what's going on with Strictly Hoops? I mean, it's just literally me breaking down games and stuff that I can. We talking about just the the team and the league. But the biggest thing is we talk about like I'm not media. I'm a I'm a hooper. I'm a basketball player. <laughs> so I don't know how to. I don't have a media side. No offense to guys that that do get one and they grow it. I don't think I want to have one. I think me being able to share what I know and what I've been through is what makes it even want to be something that somebody would want to come see about or listen to. Um, and I just try to place as much emphasis on things that I think the fan doesn't get or mm -hmm. wouldn't even have the vision to see because they've never been in a locker room. And I think that's, it got real nasty on social media the last couple of years with fans and players and the way things are happening in the arenas. And I think that disconnect, there's gotta be a way to, for us to be able to find that. And I think conversation is the best way. So that's one of the things I try to bring to it, just a safe space to talk basketball. You got a question. If I got the answer, I give it to you. If I don't, I'll get it and we can break it down. I love that, man. Like, you see a lot of players like you guys obviously are doing it. Like there's JJ Reddick's podcast. And like, obviously we mentioned like uh, with Quinn uh, Richards um, with Darius miles and, and yeah, podcast, like, hey, like Theo Pinson's um, pocket. I like his, not, not Theo many Pinson's people watching. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Like they have, like, I think that is where we want to listen. Cause we hear like your guys experience your guys certain things that we don't know about we get kind of the inside scoop with things and then you guys have each other on too to where you guys can talk ball you talk about certain things that we might not know about i think that's kind of where the audience wants to hear rather than just the media side these days like i think it's more personable when you guys take that avenue of doing it uh do you see yourself i know you said you guys were doing 17 episodes so that was the plan in the beginning. They said we could do more depending on how the season goes, depending on how the show is going. It's just, you know, I'm just flowing with it, honestly. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just having fun with it. And you guys are having players come on too, right? Raptors? We're trying to. We, some guys, you know, the season and ups and, you know, like guys kind of get. But we got some guys that said they're going to come on. Um, I played with some of the guys that are still on the Raptors team. I'm going through them first before I start reaching around the league. <laughs> Hey, I mean, if people are as receptive as you, man, like hitting you up in the DM, like like you, of all the people we've ever had on this show, I think you've been one of the most receptive to people reaching out to ask to tell your story. So I can't tell you how much we appreciate that you being willing to be accessible and, and sharing all this with our audience, man. I'm just in a point where like, the thing for me is I can't even believe anybody would want to hear it. Like, so if somebody would want to hear it, like I think it's, it's worth sitting down and us having a conversation. It's not even so much about, uh, me it's about being in a space where you want it like people want to be around people places they welcome um and that's why i try to be as welcoming to other people too because that's where you get the best out of people at i couldn't agree more man and um if people want to check you out more where can they find you like tell us again podcast name i know you got awesome music that you do i want people to make sure they can check <laughs> that out anything that you want the audience to know please uh, it's real easy mas fresco on everything m-a-s-f-r-e-s-c-o on instagram twitter 
Apple Music, Spotify, all of that. It's all I got. I got lucky and was able to keep the same thing on everything. Even my email. Like, if you want to email me, I got an email that's my espresso, so you can send it to me. Um, but yeah, just that, that that's where I'm at. The, the podcast strictly hoops on YouTube. We do the visual. There's the audios on Apple and, and Raptors over everything. So um shout out to Yahoo Canada. <laughs> Yahoo Canada. Shout out Yahoo Canada. Love that. Hey, uh, make sure you check out CJ. Make sure you listen to the podcast. Make sure you check out his music. Any uh, any fire dropping soon for the music side? Uh, top of the year. I'm going to start back. I've had some time, you know. I've been able to – that's the thing that's been so fun, too. I've been able to just fall into everything that I like to do um, without hey. a schedule that's got me flying all over the place. You seem like that, you're man. in a happy place in life yeah, right I can, now. Yeah, we can it's tell, crazy. man. You, yeah, life's good, good right now. Man, Love that. why shouldn't it be? Yeah. That's facts, man. Make sure you check out CJ social media. Check him out. Follow him at, at Mass Fresco. Check out the podcast. Check out the music. This man's doing everything, and he's a phenomenal guest. So make sure you check that out. For those that are listening, appreciate you guys for checking out Triple Play Fantasy. You can follow us on Twitter at Triple Play Fantasy, YouTube, Triple Play Fantasy, all that good stuff. We'll have more interviews and, of course, more content coming your way. But until next time, deuces. <laughs>